The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. We're going to take one verse today. We'll do one verse next week. We'll sip on it and we'll try to pull out as much as we possibly can. But if you were not here last week, I cannot give you an overview because that's what last week was. Okay, that took 25 minutes. So here's my best advice. Okay, this is my best advice if you missed last week read it. Just, just read it, okay? And um, the summary is this. God is very, very merciful. He's incredibly kind. We see that in the fact that he was willing to give his son for us so that we might have eternal life, that we might live transformed, spirit-filled lives. It's wonderful how merciful God is. And in view of that, then, the back end of the book of Romans, the chapters we're going to look at, really just a verse at a time, tell us how that life should look, okay? So we are in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and that'll be our only verse for the day. So let's just enjoy sipping this for a moment here. It says, therefore, because of everything that was covered in the first 11 chapters, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. This will be your true and your proper worship. Okay, we could just stop, but let's let's look at it literally now just kind of a word at a time, all right? So keep that in your mind. Just a simple one verse starts with the word, therefore, makes us think back for the first 11 chapters, but really there's a huge connection at the beginning of chapter 12 with chapter 6. Okay, a lot of what Paul is saying here in the first two verses of chapter 12, he's already covered in Romans chapter 6. So he's calling you to, hey, remember, therefore, because of what God has done and because of what he's doing, he's not offering a new concept here, okay? He's, he, this first verse is not new. He's actually said stuff that sounds a lot like it, like Romans chapter 6, verse 13. He says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Told you this book ain't gentle, right? I mean, leave that on the screen for a second. I I want you to see this. Look at what he's saying. Don't offer any part to sin. That's wicked. But instead, offer everything you got to righteousness. That is not a simple command. That's not something that's just like, yep, you know what I'm going to do today? They're like yesterday, full of wickedness. Like today, I'm going to be full of righteousness. We don't just get to wake up and make these decisions. Look what he says in Romans 6, verse 19. He says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. You can't do this on your own. You're you're limited. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. We don't use the term slave, okay? That's, That's not one we throw around for obvious reasons. And Paul here uses it twice. Don't be a slave to sin. Don't be bound to sin. Don't be captivated by sin, but instead to righteousness, to holiness. 
Therefore, because of all that God's done, I urge you. This is the first time in the letter to the church in Rome that Paul has used this particular word, urge. It has two facets to it. One, he's saying, hey, I have some authority over you. I'm your pastor. I'm your apostle. So because of that authority, listen to me. What I'm about to say you need to do, I urge you with authority. But then there's also an emotional appeal connected to it. And I love this. As your authority, you need to listen. But here's the deal. Like any good leader, I get it. I get this isn't easy. I'm a sinner too. In fact, Paul calls himself the chief sinner. I'm the worst sinner. So I urge you to live life like this, but I understand it's not easy. I understand how hard this will be. But, 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 I want you to try in view of God's mercy. The driving force, the fuel behind this. I urge you to do something that is very, 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 very difficult, something that I myself struggle with, but the reason that I want you to do it and the reason that I feel like we can do it is because of God's mercy. What is God's mercy? Well, this is the fun part. It's the character trait or the quality within God that drives him to deliver his creation, mankind, from their sin. That is the mercy of God. He made us, Adam and Eve messed it all up, and he said, I've got a plan, though, to deliver you from this mess. And it's going to cost me a whole lot, but I'll do it because of my mercy. He said in the Old Testament, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I will betroth you, or I will engage you to these things. I will connect you with these things. I will connect you to me forever. This is my heart. I want my people to be connected to me, to be betrothed or engaged to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion You're broken because of sin, but here's what I want you to be compelled by. Here's what I want you to be connected to. I want it to be righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. That's my heart's cry. That's the mercy of God. That's his desire to see his creation restored and delivered from their sinfulness. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. To offer your bodies. The word for body there includes one's physical self, your hands, your feet, your eyes, nose, your mouth, your physical self, but it's also what's inside a person, your heart, your mind, your soul. It's the whole enchilada. Offer everything. In view of God's mercy, offer everything. We offer up our bodies, our efforts, Ourselves, our dreams, our desires, our ambitions. We lay those before God because of the mercy that he's already shown us through the sacrifice of Jesus. He gave it all. He's going to call us to give it all. 
Think of it this way. Paul is asking all who claim the name of Jesus to give him their today and their tomorrow. Wants them both. Can you give me today all you got and then not worry about tomorrow? Just wake up and do the same thing because I'm going to want it too. In view of what he's already given for us, I'm going to ask for today and I'm going to go ahead and declare tomorrow. I got dibs on tomorrow. That's, that's mine too. In view of what I've done. This is huge. And I think many of us have trouble conceptualizing what that looks like to fully and completely offer one's body. There's another caveat to this, though. It makes it even more difficult, as if we needed that. The Old Testament's really clear. God loves sacrifice. He set up a whole system for it in the Old Testament. But the sacrifice itself had to be pure. The sacrifice itself had to be good and honoring. I know not everyone knows the story of Cain and Abel, but way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 4, two brothers, one offers a sacrifice to God, the other one offers one that looks very similar, but God goes, I'll take this one and not the other. This one's pure, this one's acceptable, this one's good, this one's not. So when he says, offer your bodies, he's not just saying, okay, wake up and just be incredibly focused today. No, he's saying, wake up, be incredibly focused today, and be pure. Oh, man. Like, I can, I can wake up in the morning, put my feet on the floor. I do this most days. Put my feet on the floor. I'm getting older, so my knees hurt, so I kind of rub them for a minute. Six out of seven days a week, I will say, God, get out of bed. I want you to be number one today. I need to coach myself up sometimes, you know. God, you're you're gonna be number one. Whew. Go take a shower. You know, it's not like that's that's my morning. You can wake up every morning and say that. Every single morning and say that. But if throughout the day, what you just declared is God's, is not pure and acceptable, he's going to say, hey, Todd, thanks for the lip service, bro. But I, you can keep it. The, the intent was close, but I only accept pure sacrifice. So let's pause just for a moment. And answer this question. What are you offering to God? What are you currently offering to him? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What are you offering to him? What he desires, it's a churchy word, but I'll explain it. What he desires is a regenerate life. Not a sinless person. There's no such thing. But a regenerate life. A life that has been marked by Jesus, a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, a life that is transformed from sin to life. 
He desires a regenerate life, one that looks like Jesus, one that lives for Jesus, an acceptable sacrifice, not one that's stained by this unrepentant, that's the key, this unacknowledged sin. We are all going to sin, every one of us, probably every day. Okay? Hate to burst your bubble, but that's just the reality. The question is, what do we do in light of that sin? Do we repent from it? Do we say, oh, God, I cannot believe I did that. I keep doing what I don't want to do. Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me. Or do we just callously say, hey, that's just life. That's just me. This is going to do me. And God, if you don't like it, tough. How are we going to respond to sin? Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I want to get there. I want to, I want to be that. I think sometimes I'm closer than others, but I want that. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, if you recall from last week, the church in Rome was full of two groups, two different groups of people, the former Jews who had converted to Christianity and the former Gentiles who had converted to Christianity. So when Paul uses this term, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, any one of this group, the former Jews, would have stood in the temple in Jerusalem, had purchased an animal for a sin that they'd committed, had put it on the altar, and watched that animal be sacrificed on their behalf. Everyone in the church would have seen that, witnessed that, smelled that. And now Paul just says the most horrific thing ever. Now you offer yourself as a sacrifice. You throw yourself on the altar. And then it's not dead, it's a living sacrifice. They would have been shocked that this is what Paul is calling them to do. It would have been a very, very, very heavy command. But maybe you've heard this adage before. The problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps jumping off the altar. That's the problem with living sacrifice. Whoop! Every time I read this, think back. Nine years ago, I had a little two-year-old nephew. He's 11 now, if that's the correct math, I think. Um, we were at his house, and my father-in-law is, is a doctor, and he had a little private practice, and he had this baby scale. And it was probably from the 40s or the 50s. It was made out of metal. It looked World War II-ish. It looked kind of torture-ish. And for some reason, it was sitting in their living room. And now, you're not supposed to weigh a two-year-old on an infant scale, but I thought that would be fun. So I'm like, Logan, come here. Come here. Lay down on this. I want to see how much you weigh. Now, it's green metal. It's not comfortable. So he sits down like this. And then I'm like, well, it's not registering. you got to lay down. So he starts to do this, and he realizes, nope. Two years old, doesn't have any words, but he said, nope. Jumps up. Not doing that. You're not putting me on that weird torture scale. I'm out. <laughs> Every time I think of Paul calling Christians 
to be living sacrifices and how easy it is for a living sacrifice to jump off the altar, I think about Logan. How often, as you're saying, all right, you've got it, Lord, you've got it, Lord. Nope. No, not today. (laughs) Not today. Sorry. Got some bad news. Uh, Some things didn't come through. Um, I don't feel like, I don't feel like doing that today. We're supposed to have living sacrifice. And Paul says something so cool. He says that if you do that, though, that will be your true and proper worship. Now, true and proper, it's interesting because I really think that phrase is better translated reasonable. So the NIV says true and proper, but I really think reasonable is better. So I want you to put the whole thing together now, okay? Let's tie a little ribbon around this whole package. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This will be holy and pleasing to God. We'll get to that. This will be your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, what is a reasonable response? Interesting word, right? What is reasonable? What is reasonable for God to ask for? In view of what he's done, what is reasonable for him to ask of us? Well, in light of what God in his mercy gave for us, his son, we may not like it, but it is reasonable for him to then ask for all of us. The whole thing. He gave everything did it first, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's reasonable, we may not like it, but it's reasonable to say, I want your whole body as a living sacrifice. This will be true, proper, reasonable worship. We don't usually look at it in this black and white of terms. We say things more like this, God, I'm going to give you a lot of me for this season. I'm going to need to hold a little bit back in reserve, though, just in case. Um, God, in this season, you're going to get very little because I don't feel like you're holding up your end of the deal right now. This is frustrating to me. That's more how I look at it. It's always this negotiation. What What is reasonable for God to ask of me? Well, what is God giving to me? And that's what Paul's saying. He's already given you everything. That's signed, sealed, delivered. That's done. He's given you everything. So the only reasonable response would be for you to give him everything. Let's pause again. What is the sacrificed life of Jesus worth to you? Can you put a value on that? For some it is more than others, but I I can say this in the universal picture, it's worth everything. It's worth everything. Paul says a reasonable response to that would be a willing and knowledgeable giving of your entire life back to him. Is that where you're at? Is that where I'm at? I I have to wrestle with that. But I want you to know this if you're like, yeah, wow, man, this is eye-opening. That is not where I'm at. 
um, it would be unwise for you to start beating yourself up and be like, I'm gonna be a better living sacrifice tomorrow. Because remember what it's in view of? In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your body. If you want to step into this and to grow in this and to mature in this, if you want to start to see your life more radically transformed, it's not about trying to be better because you're limited in that. It's about pushing harder into the sacrifice that was made. Do you know when I get really tore up over my sin? Do you know when I emotionally am like, golly, what am I doing? When I think about the cross. The more I focus on that, I'm like, what is my issue? The further removed I get from that and it just becomes this obscure happening that somehow gets me into heaven, the more further away I get from that, the less impacted I am by my own sin. You want to start growing in this, just start focusing on the sacrifice that was made for you by a merciful God. The best form of worship one can give to a merciful God is to offer their entire being that has been renewed by Jesus, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that's what makes it holy and pleasing, back to God. That's the best form of worship that we can give. And I know this is heavy, but can you just stop for a second and realize this makes total sense? Like, we're, we're sipping, so we have time to unpack this and think about it. It makes total sense. This isn't a crazy request anymore. It's hard, but it's not crazy. Because A was given, A is requested. That's reasonable. It's not out of bounds. That's not crazy. It's an apple for an apple. Today, we get to take communion together. We do that once a month. Usually the third Sunday of the month. Happens to be third Sunday of the month. Already planned to take communion. It's not a coincidence, though, that on this day where we're going to take communion together corporately, we would be in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In view of the mercy of God, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this will be your true and proper worship. So why, why do we take communion? We take communion to remember the sacrifice that was made. In view of God's mercy, okay, okay, we're going to remember that. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It actually makes perfect sense. And as I've said many times, the former fuels and enables the latter. The sacrifice of God is what allows us to sacrifice for God. The former fuels the latter. As the band comes back up, we're going to prepare to take the communion elements, the bread and the cup. So we're going to have some ushers that are going to come and pass some trays. And as those trays come by, grab a piece of bread, grab a cup, hold on to those. We'll take them together here in a few minutes. But I have some questions 
Just some questions. I think it's good. The Bible even says to examine our hearts before we take the Lord's Supper, before we take communion. It says to do that. So I have some questions just for you to maybe examine your own life. And uh, this is no judgment zone time. Like this is not about beating you up. That's the last thing I want you to feel like today is that you got beat up. The main thing I want you to feel like when you leave here today is that, holy cow, God loves me. It's so evident. In, in what has happened. You guys go and start passing. We're good. So first question. How does the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, how does that affect your everyday life? I mean, it's like, how does that affect your interactions with others? How does that affect how you spend your money? How does that affect how you love and forgive, how does that affect your job? How, how does the sacrifice of Jesus affect your everyday life? Paul would say that it needs to have a nearly 100% effect on how you live. It needs to be the fuel for how you live. Second question. Have you accepted the extravagant mercy and grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. And when I say accepted, I mean literally have you put your faith in it, but I also mean have you just grasped it? Have you sat in it long enough to go, oh my, that is an extravagant gift. Have you received God's mercy? If not, it is 100% available for you today. More intentionally, the third question is, if because you have faith in Jesus, you are wanting to bring a sacrifice, you're wanting to present your body to him, I ask you, is what you're presenting pure or impure? Is it holy and pleasing? And the only thing that makes that sacrifice holy and pleasing, pure versus impure, is to take a look at your life and to acknowledge that there will be sin there and to say, Lord, I turn from that. I do not want that anymore. Simply by doing that, saying, God, you need to cleanse me from this sin. You shed your blood so that I can be set free from this sin. I need you to look at that and ask your forgiveness. And I would encourage you that if that's a wrestling match that you're just not willing to have, then I wouldn't take the bread and the cup here in a moment. I would continue having that wrestling match. And and I know that sounds really harsh and people have left churches over being told they can't take communion, but all I'm saying is this, like to take the bread and to take the cup is to say, Jesus, I believe that your body was broken and your blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sin, but I don't want you to forgive this sin. I, I don't want that. I want to keep doing this sin. And so it, it, would, be, it would be disrespectful. I don't know what the word is. I'm just making this up. It'd be, it would be wrong to take the bread and the cup, but then refuse the sacrifice. Is your worship reasonable considering the mercy that was shown to you? 
Will you commit to give God your life as a living sacrifice? And will you do it simply because of what God has already given to you? If you need to wrestle, wrestle, but if you're ready to say, yeah, I, I'll, I'll have that, then will you go ahead and take the bread right now as a reminder of the body that was given for you? And if you've wrestled and you're ready, will you now take the cup as a reminder of the blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins? God in heaven, thank you for your mercy. Set us free from a life entangled with sin and help us see a life that is sacrificed for you. Receive our bodies as pure sacrifices because of your great mercy. Pour out your presence upon us and receive your worship, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, church, and let's respond to the incredible mercy that has been given to each of us.